you think I'm sweating now, you should see me after a run. But I do realize this was the wrong shirt, so please look past it. And, um, but I do want to ask, maybe just, it's so empty. Can I ask us to just move forward? Let's just draw together and be like a family sitting around a table. And let's talk about the goodness of God. You know, we're singing, holy is he. And the word holy, fantastic. That holy, holy is one of those words, and I, I actually wanted to touch a few words that we're so familiar with, but holy is just everywhere in the Bible, and we look at it and we say, okay, holy, what, what is it? And for some of, us, some of us, it brings the mindset that God is distant because surely He is holy, and that He is, and He's righteous, and He's just, and we're battling to, to, to reconcile the fact that He's love, and at the same time righteous, and holy, and how do I approach this holy God that's inviting me to come into His presence and drink from the fountain of life? And even in holiness, we, we, we hear that, and we sing that, and we proclaim that. And it's just saying, God, you're altogether beautiful and lovely and different, and nothing can satisfy but you. There's nothing that can compare. And tonight, tonight I, I just want to touch on that. You know, we, we become so Christianized in the way that we live, in the way that we hear, that we don't hear. In, in Exodus, Exodus 3, verse 1 to 4, I've got scripture all over the place. I apologize now beforehand because this is not going to go orderly. <laughs> and... Um, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of, of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. I'll stop there. Google says, and it must be true, that a burning bush in the desert is not that uncommon. It happens. So... Maybe he has seen it before, maybe he hasn't. But he looked and behold, the bush was burning, nothing new, in other words. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burning. So he saw it already, and in his mind he's saying, hold on, I'm going to turn aside. And then, when the Lord saw that he turned God called to him the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. I want us tonight to just stand still, just for a moment, and turn aside and behold. Because I think sometimes we, we become so familiar with the burning bushes in our lives that we don't take note that actually God is what, trying to get our attention. And so... Let's pray. Jesus, I want to pray just tonight that even in our attempt, attempts to reach out to you, I want to pray that you would grab our attention. I want to pray that you would, you would hold our faces so that we can behold you face to face and look in your eyes and behold the beauty of the Lord. And Lord, I, I want to pray that tonight everyone here will at least taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name.
So, um, on Tuesday, I'm going to just get my eyes tested again because I, I realize my arms actually is getting a bit shorter in the last little while. And, um, and I, I love the name of the place as One Vision, the optometrist. But, but the first time, that was now about 32 years ago, <clears throat> I was first year student and we are, I was sitting in the chemistry class. To this day, PSU, maybe you can help me. Why did we have chemistry in our first year? So, chemistry class of about 600 tickies in, and, and 600 students. It's medical students and vets and dentists and all of us sitting there trying to figure out what, why, why. And we had a prof, Skuman, and he was this, just this cool, collected, calm guy that loved his subject. Absolutely loved it, but, but the beauty was that he made it beautiful. I remember that was probably my only first year subject that I thought, I like this thing, because the physics, again, why? Don't know, but the physics just didn't appeal to me, but, but this chemistry. But in my chemistry 201, so, uh, 102, second semester, I started to realize, yes, prof, your projector, who, who, who doesn't know, no, who knows what a projector is? <laughs> so in the old days, just for the young guys, we had this kind of light box thingy here, and you would, you would have a see-through paper that you put on it, and then it projected everything that was on the paper on there. And so worship was this, and so was chemistry as well. And so Prof. Skuman, sitting usually near the back, we were just, as first-year students, you just write as quick as what you can, because he had all this chemistry formulations, and he would explain it, and he would always say, so on Saturday night, as if a student would do that on a Saturday night, grab your glass of red wine and your pizza, and then you argue with this thing. You argue it through. It will make sense to you. And eventually it did, be, did become sensible or made sense. But at one stage I realized I'm not seeing the projector anymore. So at school, we used to take lip eyes and, and put it on the projector, um, and then the, you know, the teacher would, would not figure out why, why is this thing not working. And of course, you would score time or waste time, whichever way you, you look at it. But I, I thought, proof, you're not focusing anymore. It doesn't make sense anymore. And what bothered me was that why am I the only one seeing this, that he's not focused? And so eventually, my note-taking wasn't like that anymore, but like this. I started to look, not at where it was coming from, but next, the person next to me, so that I could draw the information from that person. This is going somewhere. <laughs> and so, the last couple of weeks, I, I realized again that I, I need someone called One Vision to help me to focus because eventually I realized that actually the fold is not with Prof. Skuman. The fact that I wasn't performing in chemistry anymore had nothing to do with Prof. Skuman. The source didn't change, but my perspective did. And so my eyes became blurry to see just this beauty of what he was talking about. And eventually, I realized that I needed glasses, which for an 18-year-old was not the greatest thing, but nonetheless, 
here we are. And so, the moment that I put the glasses on, I could see the master again, and I could fall in love with the subject again, and I didn't have to rely solely on the people next to me to carry me through chemistry, but I could behold and fall in love and see. And so tonight, I want to just, I don't know, is this a confession, is this a teaching, is it a, I don't know what it is, but I, I want you to hear the heart tonight. You could, I've, I've got scriptures here, you can come and get it from me, but but I want you to sit and just ask yourself the question, what is my vision? What is the thing that I'm focused on? And I've, 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 got, a, I've got a little clip that I just want us to play. Um, let's go there. Ice Age. <laughs> Sorry, I love that. that okay. So yeah, my question is, is, what is your infatuation? What is it that's grabbing your attention that you're willing to forsake everything 
to find that thing. And so, um, yeah, Matthew, Matthew 8, 8 verse 3. And, you know, I think sometimes in, in, our, in our Christian walk, we become so mature that, that we forget that this was, this was Jesus that, that, that said this one thing. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of, of, of heaven. Now, now that's, that's, that's a big statement. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is it to be like a child? Because I think that is the, the key thing here, is that unless we know what it is, we're not going to be able to pursue it. And if we're not able to pursue it, and we don't know what it is, we might never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is not a doom and gloom. This is just turn aside and look. And so, so there's a couple of things. I'll, I'll, I'll throw out just an example. And this is a trap, by the way, but I want you to honest me in, uh, answer me honestly. Things as an example, we grow up in church. Um, Peter denied Jesus three times, right? Jesus asked him, do you love me? How many, t- how many times did Jesus ask that question? Three times. Why did he ask it three times? Come on, come on. You've heard the sermons. Come on. That is a trap, but I know. Come, let's, 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 let's go over it. He denied him three times. Look, there's a burning bush. And, and we don't stand and consider that between... We eat it up. That's the way that Jesus is. And it forms our theology in our mind that this is the way, this is Jesus that we serve, by the way. He will get, he will get even with us because we've denied him. And then somehow he will say, come and enter into my kingdom. And I will live with that three times denial. And somehow I need to cope with it. We forget that between the denial and Jesus asking the question, there's this one key thing, which is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus died and he was raised from the dead again. And those, the, the, the three times that was denied was just wiped away, never to be looked at again. And so for us to look at that and say, oh, but he denied him three times. We have an image of Jesus portrayed in our mind that thinks that this is the way that he operates. This is the ways of God. And we miss the point that actually if we think that way, we deny the power of the cross. Let's think of another one. Gospel. What does the gospel mean? What does gospel mean? Good news. We all have a amplified somewhere, multiple choice version. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what does it mean? So I had a look at, at the gospel, and, and, and this is really just my message tonight, is, is the gospel. The gospel, it, it appears more than 70 times in the New Testament. Um, Paul uses it more than three, three times more than all the other authors combined. So it's quite an important word. Now, it comes from two words. Google is amazing. Thanks, yeah. Um, it comes from two words. Well, it's, it's, it's a combination. It's, it's one word. It's euangelion. And euangelion, you, like we use in euphoria, means Good. Amazing, brilliant, like that acorn, just next level. And angelion is angel, which is messenger. So it's, it's a word that they used 
and it was actually a political, a political word. So what would, what would have happened? Well, well, they used it in two ways. In the Old Testament, the way that it was used was there would be a watchman on the wall of a city. The cities were fortified, so the soldiers will go out and fight a war, and this, the, the watchman will stand on the wall and look out for messengers coming through. And they would be so trained in seeing what, this mes- messenger, what message the messenger carried, because did he run, like Theo and I, kind of like this on the, par- on the park run, or like my boys running and sprinting, upbeat and still with energy left. And they will know that this, this is good news or bad news. And so when, when they see the, the messenger approaching, they would shout, Euangelion! Good news! We've won the battle, or whatever the case may be, because they see the messenger. The other one was, was in Rome. Imagine, imagine we, we, we Sona happened this week, eh? <laughs> Imagine there was a moment of Evangelion! And it was real. No more load shedding. <laughs> That's a type of, of impact that this word had for these guys. They will shout it at the top of their voice and people would gather because there's good news. There's good news. Someone has got to tell us good news. And it's both the messenger and the message. That's a good news. It would refer either to the messenger or to the message itself. Good news. Come and hear. Come and hear. So it's used in the Bible. The first four books of the Bible is called the Gospels. Why? Because it tells us about Jesus. It carries the message, but it it brings the messenger. Sorry, it's a messenger, and we call it the Gospels. But it tells us about the message, the real good news. John the Baptist. Um, where are we? Sorry, Joel, we'll, we'll get there. Um, John the Baptist. In, in John, John 1, verse 29 and, 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 and 36 John, John would actually go around and he would say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so, so just for those that's interested in Matthew, was basically written to the Jews. And so the kingdom of God features everywhere. It's kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. And Jesus coming to say that the kingdom of God, he is bringing in and is ushering in the kingdom of God. But in John, describes the... the, the um, the ministry of, of John the Baptist, where he's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. There's a new era, and he's the only prophet that could say that it's imminent. It's happening. It's, they're warming up. This is it. All the other prophets said, look, sometime in the future, something is going to happen, and we will get the Messiah. And then John, the one day, is baptizing people. And he's busy and he's preaching and he stops. And what does he say? Behold. And tonight I'm saying to us as a congregation, where does it leave us? Let us behold and we can point and just say, behold. It's him. He has come. Jesus actually answers this, the gospel. What is the gospel? Thank you. Jesus answers, um, 
introduces the, the gospel, the good news, the euangelion. He announces like this, Luke 4, verse 16 to 19. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to proclaim euangelion to the poor. He has sent me to euangelion, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's, he's actually quoting for, from Isaiah 61, and, and I think maybe, maybe Jesus had the message version there that they handed to him, because it was kind of bringing over the concept, but... Um, let, let, let's look at the full version, Isaiah 61. I'm joking, by the way. So, um, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is, this is Isaiah proclaiming this thing, that, that there will be this time. And he's saying, the Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring euangelion, good news, to the poor. He has sent me to bind up brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of, of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. So there's this list of things that Jesus is ushering in. I'm just going to, going to go f just further to, to, to Luke. Again, sorry, I'm going to take this out. So Luke 4, verse, verse 20 to 21, says this. Jesus finishes, finishes his, uh, his preach. And he's saying, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, today, today the scripture has been fulfilled. Today, euangelion, good news, here am I, I'm on the scene. Until today, we hear euangelion. And the message has not changed because Jesus is still saying, here am I. I'm the one that will bind up your broken heart. I'm the one that will heal your eyes, that, that the glasses that you need, I will change it for you. I'm the one that will, that will come. But all those things, I will come and set you free. I will come and proclaim this is the year of liberty. But all those things require such closeness. We need to let him in. We need to allow him to come and examine our eyes so that we can see that I'm not seeing, I'm not receiving. God, you're the master. You're the builder. You're the one that I need to find my direction from. You're the one that I find my joy. We sing it and we proclaim it. And it is, I've tasted and seen, but there's nothing that compares. Jesus is saying here, don't even look further. Here am I. Find your fulfillment. Find your joy. Find your salvation. Find your life 
in him. You know, he's, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let us be the ones that's hungry and thirsty for righteousness because we will be satisfied. It's a promise. How many promises is it that we skip over and we read through and we see the burning bush and we move on? Allow him to arrest our hearts and our, allow him to arrest our gaze and our vision so that we can stop and say, hold on, let me take note. Because this promise is for me now, today. Let me walk in it because he is trustworthy. He has offered me himself. If he has spared himself not, surely he's not going to withhold that. Is this saying, I think it was John Piper. I like John Piper, by the way. Um, the, aim in God, the aim in God's work in redemption is not that through Christ we might have salvation. I can say it again. The aim in God's work in redemption is not that through Christ we might have salvation, but through salvation we might have Christ. We're still with gospel. Paul writes about the gospel so many times, over and over. And he said... In the epistles, I think the important one is just Jesus announcing, here's my good news. It's me. Look no further. It's found in Jesus and a relationship with him. Paul writes, did I give you Romans 1 verse 16, 17? Look at that. For I am not ashamed of the euangelion, the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God, for in, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There's good news. Grab a hold of it by faith. It's the power unto salvation. And if you're sitting here and you say, What is the salvation? What are we talking about? Please come and talk to, to someone. Let us introduce you to the one who's called good news. What else did Paul say? Paul was quite radical in his description. So he said things like, in Philippians 1 verse 21, yeah, I don't think I gave that one. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said in 2 Corinthians, 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 13 and 15, he makes this profound statement Profound statement, and, and, and this is where I want to come back to. Oh, you've got Philippians. Okay, so he said that as well. But in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13 to 15. Okay. <laughs> for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Just the, the previous verse 14, he says this, this one thing. For the love of Christ compels us, or in this case controls us. It is, it is his love that's driving, driving him. 
I remember when, when our boys were young, we thought it good to have a lullaby and to teach them some profound theological truths with a lullaby. And I thought it would work, and I'd, I hope it did. <laughs> so we were in the middle of the night, walking around, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And half an hour later, still, Jesus, Jesus, do you, Jesus loves me, this I and, and an hour later, it's like, God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But, um, <laughs> you know, here, here Paul mentions that the one thing that drives him is the love of Christ. How many times have we heard the message? How many times has it fallen on, on, on our ears and it's, oh, okay, yeah, I hear Jesus loves me. And the song that for Paul was the very foundation and the very motivation and the very thing that drove him to do what he did has actually lullabied us to sleep, to say that Jesus loves me. And it doesn't strike our hearts anymore that he is the one that loves and gave us all. All. He's the one that gave himself up so that we can have him. Can we allow his love to penetrate and and pierce our hearts again. That the very truths, the very foundations has actually come and, and lulled us to sleep. Let us not be a people that's asleep to the beauties of Jesus, to, the, to his promises, to, to his heart. You know, and let me go to Exodus. Let me go to Moses. Sorry, I, I, Exodus. I love Moses. I, I, I think, I think there's very few characters in the Bible that's that's that can stand with Moses. Um, I, I read his life, and I'm just think, my goodness, what a man of God. And I know he had faults, but but let's let's start what the New Testament says about him in Hebrews 11, verse 24 to 27. And, and I'm going somewhere with his life because it's, it's just, I just want to bring something out. And I'm, this is, by the way, my third attempt to preach on Exodus 33. And I'm almost finished with my introduction. So in Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I'm just going to stop there just to let you in. Everybody knows Moses, right? We all know the story. He was saved. Pharaoh's daughter came and, and, and raised him as her own child. He had every privilege of this mightiest kingdom on the face of the earth at that stage. He grew up with everything and more. And he knew that there was something not right. There was something this is not my calling. This is not my destiny. This cannot be it. And so he made a choice, and his choices may be a little bit enhanced by some of, some of the things that he did. He, he, he struck an Egyptian. The Egyptian died, and then he had to get out of there very quickly. 
So choosing rather to be mistreated as a slave with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. How does he do it? Come on, let's just be real. Let's just cut this thing that... Let's just be real. Here's here's kingship growing up in, in a palace and there you're a beggar begging for your next meal. No, actually not begging. Working your back end off and hoping that there will be something by the end of it. Not knowing whether I will be beaten to death or starved to death. Come on. I know that we, we play the lead role in our own little, little story and we always kind of, you know, you look at Moses and I think, yeah, I can associate with that. Moses, yeah, 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 kind of, he's like us, you know, Moses, Paul and myself, we, we would make those sort of choices. Really? How did he do it? Next verse. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. Do I have another verse? I think I do. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, for he endured, and, and this is it, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Is it not? No, that's, that's it, hey. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. So we're faced with trials and tribulations. We're faced with all sorts of things that we consider ourselves in Job's league. You know, now we're there. How do we get through it? We endure as seeing the euangelion, Jesus, and that's the way that we endure. We run to him. In uh, just that reward in verse 26. That, uh, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. That reward is something, the word there carries the meaning of, of, of something that you know has great value, but all you have is a promise. So you work on a promise, but you know this is not a promise like a boss like the Egyptians or anything like that. This is an utter secure reward that I know that my reward for what I have just done will be rewarded better than what I deserve. That is what that word describes. The, other, the second word is, is, yeah, just Moses. He did what John the Baptist said. It's like, behold, there he is. Look at him. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Exodus 33, we're there. In Exodus 33, Moses has this absolutely amazing, Moses and God has this conversation. And, and so just a little bit of back, background, Moses would, he pitched his tent outside, outside the camp where the, where the Israelites were, and he would go in to meet with God. And, um, and every time that he would go, there would be this cloud hanging over, and he would come back, and his face is shining, and it's like, why are you guys looking at me? Um, and the people were, no, 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 you've been with God. You've been with God because you're different. And so, um, the Israelites had a 
some weird idea of worshipping something that they made. And Moses got angry and he threw the tablets onto the calf and destroyed the calf. And he, in the process, he broke the tablets with the Ten Commandments that God gave him. God wrote it. And then, yeah, in, in Exodus 33, verse 7 to 11, Moses actually has this conversation with God. And he says, now Moses used to take... Um, used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go to, out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would ascend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and worship each of these ten doors. Isn't it amazing that when we see God deliver someone or God meeting with someone in an amazing way, it provokes just, I need to worship him. Because I see so-and-so being set free. It's like, that God I want to worship. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Um, okay, so, so that's just the intro. And now this conversation that's, that's, that Moses is having in verse 12 to 14. So Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. I love this, this conversation because Moses is saying, they're an obstinate people. God, they're your people. And then God answers him and says, no, no, no. You let them out of Egypt. They're your people. And so God and Moses is this amazing conversation. And sometimes, you know, we, we had this play at the end of last year. Sorry, I'm, I'm taking this rabbit hole. Um, we had this, this amazing play last year of how do we pray? Yeah, man, you, you, you were the one crying out. And it's like, and everyone come alongside and says, no, this is the way you pray. And, and, and you know, there's, there's these elaborate things that we add to our Christian walk, and, 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 and I know it was exaggerated. But, but how many times do we sit in that chair? How many times do we add things that we think, how many times, confession, is my prayer what I think God wants to hear? As if he can't read my heart. As if he doesn't know that what's in here is, is dirty and chacha and angry and a mess. But God, you are so good. Thank you for blessing us and that your mercies are new every morning. And I put up this pretense and this mask of actually everything is okay. And actually, isn't the greatest thing of worship just God? I'm a mess. Please come and help me because I cannot help myself. So Moses said to the, to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. So now therefore, Moses speaking, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your, is your people. And then God replied and said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
Can we go back to verse 13? Please show me now your ways, Moses asked. And I find with myself that that we've become very accustomed to the ways of God. That that is a burning bush that's burning there and we, there's another burning bush. The ways of God. We know how to do church. We can be the best greeters that will actually welcome people in, that will make the angels of heaven ashamed and envious of how we can do this thing so well. We can be church exceedingly well, and we can pass that test. And we can be the most faithful, calm goer. Haven't missed one in 41 years. And we can be so familiar with the ways of God that we forget to ask the next question. If God, this is your ways, why do I walk in this ways? And Moses says, God, I want to know your ways because I want to know you. Church, what we do here is amazing. I'm going to be honest, can I? I've got lots of things that need to be done. If I'm here just to know more ways, I'm going to disappoint you now and blow this thing out of the water. You will not know new ways in your lifetime if you've been at church for more than three or four years. You've heard every message and most angles on that message that you will ever hear. Sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> The ways of the Lord is so that we can follow, follow them, so that we can behold and see, but God, if this is your ways, if this is what the ways of God look like, what are you? Who are you? If we're not walking out here beholding Jesus, then we've done, we've joined a beautiful club, and we can do all these things and still miss the very point of what we're here for. When Jesus is saying, look at my ways. It's me that you're after. It's like reading a love letter. And I'm standing and I'm reading the love letter whilst my wife is standing here and she's actually written the letter. What's the use of the letter when I have the presence of the one whom I love? The Bible is there to point us to him. Church is there to point us to him. You are here to point me and the people around you to him and say, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But in order to behold, it means that we need to, to see and stop and say, Let me take note. It requires time. But boy, the reward. The reward that we will sing with conviction. Nothing compares to you. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love. The purpose of knowing the ways, by the way, is not to please Him. I'm going to say that again. Walking in the ways of God does not please Him.
Let me explain what I'm trying to say. Jesus said that there's some, when, when, when he preached, he said, not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And he said that there will be people that say, did I not prophesy? Did I not walk in these ways? Did I not do this, Lord? And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. You know, the bride that Jesus is so passionate about, and the bride that, that we should be passionate about, he gave his life for that bride. But in Revelation, I'm not sure if I gave that one. Do you have a Revelation verse there? In Revelation, it talks about... No, uh, Revelation. So I'm going to say this again. The bridegroom is in love with the bride. With the bride. Not with a, not with a dress. The day that Renee and I got, got, got married... Let's just take that off. I'm, I'm taking this rabbit hole as well. The day that Renee and I got married, the day before... It was like this, this weather in George. 30 degrees, beautiful, man, sunshine, God's blessing is on us. It's amazing. The next morning at 3 o'clock, it started to rain. But it not, this is Pretoria, by the way. Not just rain, it iced. It's not snow, it's, it's not hail. I don't know what it was, but it was ice falling from, from heaven. It, it rained, actually, it started icing when, when we were there. So... Outside our wedding venue, there's these, what do you call it, stalactites of ice hanging from, from the fruit trees. The previous day, it was 30 degrees. Could you not? And so, the photos that we, that we have, or, or people would say to Renee, um, oh, your dress, your dress, and, you know, pull it up, and because it's muddy and everywhere. And I'm thinking... Who cares about the dress? Did you see who's inside the dress? She didn't notice the dress. Not really, hey? <laughs> she didn't worry about the dress. Because at that, on that day, we had eyes for one another only. There was nothing that, that, that could have distracted. Not the weather, not the dress. And it was a beautiful dress. It was a beautiful dress. But you know what? I noticed the dress afterwards. Because at that moment, it was this is what this day is about. And when our wedding day comes with Jesus, when he returns for his bride, I can't wait for that. I can't wait to look at that. And I believe that's the way that Jesus looks at us. But you know, in, in Revelation, it talks about our wedding dress, what it's going to be. And it says this, it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So is it important? Yes, of course, it's beautiful. But he's coming back for the bride, not for a dress. Jesus was affirmed by his father before he did a single thing. The day that he was baptized... A booming voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom, I will, in whom I'm well pleased. What did he do? Nothing. Faithfully walked in the ways of God and beheld his father because he knew him. And so, so what, what, what am I saying? Don't do anything. Listen, guys. 
Behold him. Behold him. And I can assure you, I can promise you, I can say this one thing. You will find strength to do more than what you can ever imagine to do. Behold him. And you will be the one volunteer. Last time I, I shared a sermon. When I shared, I, I, I read from Obed Eden's life. When, we, when David brought the Ark of the Covenant and he, he fetched it from the Philistines and he... Uzzah, one of his, his guys that carried this, this ark, stretched out his hand because this thing was about to fall. And he stretched out his hand and God smite him and he just split him in two. And there's Uzzah and there's a problem. And so David said, well, let's take the ark and put it in Obed Eden's house. No pressure. And so he left it there and he went back. Why? Because he needed to find the ways of God. He did it wrong in the first place, David, that is. And then a couple of weeks later, the guys are saying, Jeez, Obed-Edom, have you heard David? I was like, no, I'm busy with the ways of God. What's happening? And his friends and his people are saying, You want Gilead? There's good news. Obed-Edom, he's blessed. Why? He's in the presence of God. That's why. There's the fear of God, and there's the awe of God. But my goodness, he will not leave that thing. And God blessed everything that he did. Whatever he touched, it was blessed. And so David thinks, whoa, whoa. I'm busy with the ways of God, and I'm missing out because I'm not in God's presence. I need God's presence. So he has this elaborate journey to bring that thing, the Ark of the Covenant is that thing, to bring that back to Jerusalem. What does Obed-Edom do? Look, man, if he had macadamia nuts like John, they were two years old and, and bearing 70, 80% of everything, everything, triplets with the, with the goats and, and you name it, everything prospered. Talk about prosperity gospel. Hey, what did Obed-Edom do? If that thing is going, I'm going. I leave it all behind because I've tasted something, the presence of God. And this thing, the blessing that comes with the presence of God has nothing, nothing compared to the presence and the beauty of what I've experienced. And off he goes. And whenever they ask, listen, we need to keep up on the gate. Can someone please volunteer? He's like, pick me, pick me, pick me. We need someone to, to lead worship. I'm here, I'm here, because he's seen something. Go and read it. It's in 2 Samuel 17. He can't help but to volunteer because the only thing that he wants is I need to be in his presence because I've tasted something and it's ruined my life. I will never be the same. David says something in Psalm 24, verse 7. 27, verse 4. 27, uh, that one. 27, verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord. And then I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I'll just stop there. If we stop there, we miss it all. We miss it all. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The purpose is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. God, show me your ways so that I may walk in them. So that I can get to you, because if I see your ways, I can get to know you. You know, 
Jesus himself, let me just quickly find that. Jesus said this thing. Um, did I give you that one? Probably not. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Can, can we get Exodus 33 verse, was it 17? I think so. Let me just double check. It's not verse 17. Verse 14. Sorry, Joel. This is after Moses has said, show me your ways so that I can know you. Jesus said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Later on in the New Testament, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28 to, 20, uh, 28 to 30, he says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, Evangelion. Come to Jesus. Come to my presence. That's a repentance call in the Old Testament where the, pre, the, the, the prophets would say, repent. In other words, turn. Jesus is saying, turn. Behold. Look. Take time to look. Come to me. If you're weary and burdened, Come to Jesus, and he will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So tonight I want to end with this thing. Your church, we can miss it. We can be a bride that's obsessed with her own beauty. Or we can be a bride that has eyes like that little clip we had. And he has seen that acorn. And my goodness, nothing will ever satisfy that little heart again. We can behold him. And we can look at everything. And we can be part of this thing. And we can see the presence of God descend amongst us so that people will walk in here and say, you have been with God. In 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about the gifts of God, the gifts of God being displayed, which is just the gifts, it's just something to say, have you seen my God? He gave me these beautiful gifts and he, he's clothed me with gifts. If the gifts look like that, can you imagine? If this is the ways, can you imagine what he is like? And so when we come together, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, the unbeliever will walk in and say, but God is amongst you because I've seen something. His presence is there. I don't know about you. The status quo is great. And I love this church. Don't, don't hear what I'm not hearing or not saying. But I'm at a place in my life where I'm saying, God, there's got to be more. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty for more. I want to see the people with broken hearts being bound up and set free. I want to see people that sick healed. I want to see the glory of God descending like a cloud and people will walk out of here and say, but God was amongst you. What will make us difference but the presence of God? 
So my question tonight, I'm going to close just with one Deuteronomy verse. This, this song has been in my mind for so long. That came with the, what do you call it, the projectors. It was back in those days. Deuteronomy 32, verse 3 to 4, for I will proclaim, what did we do tonight? The name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. How do we come to the conclusion about his faithfulness without iniquity? that is just, that is upright, that is beautiful, that is a rock to be dependent on by following his work and looking at that and saying, if that is what the work is like, imagine what the master is like. I want to challenge you. I want to, no, I want to ask you. It's not a challenge. If you're with me, you feel this hunger burning inside of you to say, I'm satisfied and I'm grateful. I'm saved. But I know like the, like the Israelites, we're not, we're not led out of Egypt so that they can be in the, in the desert. The purpose of, of them coming out of Egypt and the whole exodus was so that they can live their life in the promised land. I'm not, I'm, hear, hear me carefully. They had, they had some battles. I don't want to die in the desert. I know there's more. I know there's a promise that I'm not walking in. And I know there's a promise that you guys are not walking in. This is not judgmental. This is just common sense. I know there's more. And I want to I wanna ask you, just with me, let's drop the music. Let's drop everything. And let's give it a few minutes. And you make business with God tonight. If you don't know God and you say, I have no idea what you're talking about, I'm going to ask, just, just come and speak with us afterwards. But now I want to ask, respect this time that we have with God. And cry out and sit and look at him and behold him and say, God, I haven't seen you. I've seen the burning bush, but I, I, I haven't stopped and take, took notice. This is a confession, by the way. And so, so I want to ask you, let's repent. Remember the scripture says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. This is a moment not to, three times you've denied me, three times I'm going to give you a box law. No, this is Jesus saying to you tonight, it's me that's on offer. Choose me. And so, just close your eyes. I, I don't know how, and do business with God. Run to him.